Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. The Bell Witch of Tennessee is early America's most infamous poltergeist haunting. It's the most chilling and heavily documented account of a poltergeist plaguing a family. An American president even visited the Bell Farm after hearing about the strange ongoing events. The story goes that President Andrew Jackson made a surprise visit to the Bell Farm to see the witch for himself. Interestingly, Jackson was turned away. In the early 1800s, a family named Bell moved to the Red River bottom land in Tennessee. The family settled in a community that later became known as Adams County. It's there that the Bells prospered and became respected members of the community. As the story goes, one day in 1817, John Bell and his oldest son were out hunting when they encountered a strange-looking dog. Shocked by the appearance of the thing, which they reported to have the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit, Bell and his son shot at the animal several times, but the thing seemed unfazed. Mysteriously, the animal vanished and reappeared every time John Bell fired at it. Eventually, Bell forgot about the weird occurrence. Days later, the bells started hearing loud, banging sounds on the outside walls of the, of the farmhouse. Then they heard a combination of rapping, thumping, and chilling, scratching noises. As time went on, the bells began to hear even more strange noises. Moaning and sounds of crying continued regularly. Despite careful examination of the outside and inside of the house, no cause for these sounds was found. Nevertheless, the troublesome sounds increased in intensity rather than diminishing. To add to the weird goings-on, the family confides in close friends, 
hearing a feeble old woman crying and singing religious hymns. Finally, the Bells turned to family friend James Johnston for help. After retiring for the evening at the Bell home, Johnston was awakened that night by the same phenomena that the Bells were experiencing. The morning, that morning he told John Bell it was a spirit just like in the Bible. And soon after, word of the haunting spread with neighbors flocking to see the witch for themselves. The unseen thing began to finally speak out loud. When asked, who are you and what do you want? The voice answered, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed. Is this a clue that the bell somehow unleashed something otherworldly? It was not long before people were coming from every direction to witness the mysterious phenomena. They weren't disappointed. As this fun cue, the bell witch made appearances many times to satisfy witnesses. The entity once proclaimed that it was a witchy neighbor named Kate Batts. This explanation is what many people believed, although Kate laughed the allegation off as ridiculous. The local gossip claimed that Kate Batts was the witch. She had two major reasons for infesting the Bell home. The main intent was to kill John Bell due to a land dispute that robbed Kate of some of her land. The second reason was to stop John's youngest daughter, Betsy, from marrying a neighbor boy. Frighteningly, the Bell's youngest daughter, Betsy, began experiencing physical, brutal attacks by an unseen entity. Betsy frequently had her hair pulled, was flung around, often pinched, severely scratched, and regularly stuck with pins. Next, the wrath of the poltergeist witch now focused on John Bell Sr. The witch proceeded to physically torment him for the next two years. On the morning of December 20, 1820, after a long battle with a mysterious condition that swelled the tongue and caused trouble eating, John Bell breathed his last. Accounts report that the spirit was cackling and sang body tunes when the funeral attendees left the gravesite. Did John Bell die with the Bell Witch's torment? I guess we'll really never know. Historical documents show that the poltergeist phenomenon was compelling and witnessed by scores of people. In April of 1821, it said that the spirit visited Lucy Bell and told her that it would return in seven years. Amazingly, seven years later, the spirit did return as promised, and so the account goes. Surprisingly, the visit centered on John Bell Jr. It's documented that the Bell Witch spirit discussed with John Jr. predictions of Civil War, World War I, the Great Depression, and even World War II. After three weeks, the spirit bade farewell, promising to visit John Bell's most direct descendant in 107 years. That year would have been 1935. The closest direct descendant of John Bell was Charles Bailey Bell, a physician in Nashville. And not surprisingly, the witch never returned. Eventually, Charles Bailey Bell wrote a book about the Bell Witch. The book was published prior to 1935, 
the promised year of the witch's return, and no subsequent book has ever been released. Charles Bell died in 1945. Ultimately, this poltergeist spirit, which haunted the Bell family nearly 200 years ago, is believed by many to be the source of numerous strange events that still occur in the area. Some believe that when the spirit returned in 1935, it took up a general residence in Adams, once a part of the Bell Farm. Sometimes, unaccountable murmurs of people talking and sounds of children playing are heard when no one else is there. Also, it's purported that taking a clear picture on the old Bell property is always challenging. Rumors once spread that the witch took up residence in a cave on John Bell's old property. Ultimately, the poltergeist spirit, which haunted the Bell family nearly 200 years ago, is believed by many to be the source of numerous strange events that are still occurring in the area. Some believe that the spirit did return in 1935 and took up residence in Adams, Tennessee. The historic Bellwitch Cave is the site where the poltergeist is believed to have moved. It is run by the historic Bellwitch Cave Incorporated, and it's on the National Historic Registry by the United States Department of the Interior, effective as of April of 2008. If you're interested in visiting the cave, it is open daily from 10 a.m. until 5 p.m. with the last tour at 4 p.m. A fun fact about Tennessee. The Ober Gatlinburg Ski Resort has the world's largest artificial skiing surface with over five acres of skiing, regardless of weather. Another fun fact about Tennessee that's on the books. Don't go sharing your Netflix password in Tennessee. This can get you into some big trouble. Across America, there are a number of ghost lights, spook lights, or mystery lights that occur. Many of these lights occur near railroad tracks. Many have legends attached to them concerning engineers or train passengers who were involved in a terrible wreck in which they were decapitated. And the lights are generally flashlights or lanterns with which the ghosts are seeking to find their heads. Whatever the explanation, it's amazing how many stories there are of spook lights, ghost lights, and mystery lights. In Arkansas, one light occurs near an old railroad track near Crossett, 
it's been seen by many people since the early 1900s. It appears as an eerie red, white, amber, or blue light about head high. The Gurdon lights are more famous Arkansas lights, occurring in the small town of Gurdon, about 75 miles from Little Rock. Both the Crossit and Gurdon lights have the railroad decapitation legend attached to them. In Silver Cliff, Colorado, there's a variation on the theme. These mystery lights are seen in the old Silver Cliff Cemetery. They're usually blue-white and about the size of a silver dollar and appear in groups of two or three. Georgia is home to the Serency Light. Serency is a very tiny town near Macon. This bright yellow ball of light has been seen near the railroad tracks since the early 1900s. Science may have found an explanation for it in a strange pool of liquid that has been found far underground under Serency. But the liquid itself is a mystery, as the liquid is not supposed to be able to form nine miles underground, where the seismic equipment seems to indicate this liquid lies. The Paulding light occurs near Waters Meet, Michigan, outside of Paulding. It's been observed for at least the last 40 years, and this is one of the many lights that is connected to the story of a railroad brakeman who lost his life and now wanders the road with his lantern. Since the lights appear to sometimes follow the power lines, although they were seen before the power lines were present, some people also claim that they are the ghost of an Indian dancing on the lines. The lights appear as circles of red, blue, white, and green, and are evident almost every clear evening. Even though Ripley's Believe It or Not once offered $100,000 to anyone who could offer a solution to the lights, no logical scientific explanation has yet been found, and the lights remain a mystery. North Carolina has its share of spook lights as well. They have the brown mountain lights. The author goes on to say, I've seen the brown mountain lights a number of times. They occur in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and they appear to be numerous lights at least twice the size of stars. I've seen them when they were red and another time when they were blue. These lights have been reported since before white men settled the area. The Cherokee tribes have reports of them as far back as the year 1200. In their history, it's believed that the lights are spirits of the Cherokee warriors killed in a great battle that year. Civil War soldiers even wrote home about these lights. These lights have been researched many times, including by teams from the, from the Smithsonian Institute and by the U.S. Geological Society. Theories have included swamp gas, reflection from moonshine steels, and in recent years, some unusual atmospheric condition that reflects electricity. The Smithsonian survey dismissed the moonshine steel theory 
saying that there were not enough stills to cause this kind of activity. There are no swampy areas around Brown Mountain, and the lights were around long before electricity. In 1913, the U.S. Geological Survey concluded that the lights were reflections from locomotive lights behind Brown Mountain. But shortly after that survey was done, floods washed out all of the railroad tracks around Brown Mountain. There were no trains in service in the area for months, but the lights still showed up right on time. The Brown Mountain Lights are not the only spook lights in North Carolina. Wilmington has the Mako Station Lights, which actually could be the paranormal result of the death of a railroad man named Joe Baldwin in 1867. His death is well documented in newspapers and other public records, and he did die in a dramatic and violent train accident. Twelve miles outside of Joplin, Missouri, there's a track of road about four miles long, which crosses the Oklahoma border. The former town of Hornet is located there, and it is here that the Hornet spook light appears. It looks like a ball of fire or a lantern, and varies from basketball size to considerably larger. It travels down the center of the road, weaving from side to side. Some people feel that it behaves in an intelligent fashion, sometimes appearing in sidecars, letting people approach to a certain distance, but never get too close and retreating when it is pursued. The legends attached to this light are centered around Native Americans. One theory is that the lights are the spirits of two Indians, and another is that it is the spirit of a chief who predictably was beheaded and is looking for his head. Another legend says that the light is the lantern carried by a miner still looking for his children who were kidnapped by the Indians. Explanations that have been put out for this light include marsh gas and reflections from minerals. Neither of these explanations hold up. There's reason to believe some sightings may be caused by car lights from the highway five miles away, but this still doesn't explain all the documented sightings from before the highway was built, and even before cars were commonplace. Troy Taylor in Unexplained America says that the Army Corps of Engineers concluded that the Hornet light was a mysterious light of unknown origin, and so it remains. Bragg, Texas has another occurrence of a mysterious light and another decapitated brakeman legend. This light starts small and grows to about the size of a flashlight beam, and it's orange. Paulding, Texas also has the very well-known Marfa lights. The lights were observed by settlers and cowboys driving cattle through Marfa in the, in the 1880s. The first recorded account of these lights was by a rancher named Robert Ellison in 1883. The Apache have legends that the lights are stars that fell from the sky. Today, they can be seen from U.S. Route 90. They vary in color and intensity, although usually they appear as reddish-orange balls from 1 to 10 feet in diameter 
and they appear to move about. As always, some skeptics claim that they are reflections of car lights. But, of course, they were being seen in exactly the same way long before there were cars. Many scientists have tried to come up with an explanation for the lights, but so far, they do remain unexplained. The following is an account by someone who actually witnessed the Brown Mountain Lights, not once, but twice. One of the famous legends of North Carolina are the spook lights seen over Brown Mountain near Morganton, North Carolina. They can be seen all year, but fall seems to be their most active time. The Cherokee say the lights are the departed souls of warriors killed in combat with other local tribes. The U.S. geologic folks say it's a geologic anomaly. I've seen them twice, and I've been there at least six times. It's weird to see them. They come out of the Linville Gorge, flicker across the ridge and face of the mountain. My first time we saw them, there were three lights. They ran together, then separated, and winked out after about ten minutes. The next time, there were at least fifteen red, green, and pale blue lights. They hovered and zipped across near the ridge for close to an hour. This is reported by N.C. Bassatak. Whatever spook lights are, they are not just an American phenomenon. There are spook lights in Canada. There have been spook lights reported in the UK, in Norway, and in many other places around the world. Hansel Road was an undeveloped road in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, that hosted a ghost light that was referred to locally as the Green Ghost. The light appeared as a green shaft of light that flashed on and off within seconds and sometimes changed shape while observers watched. There were also reports of the light forming an orb and hovering over the road or in the nearby trees. Sometimes the light emerged out of the surrounding woods, while at other times it appeared spontaneously. Occasionally the light was reported as red. Several stories grew up around the green light. One maintained that it was the spirit of a woman whose child had been killed in a car accident on the road. Another told the tale of an escaped murdered slave, while yet another attributed the activity to the ghosts of young people killed by a caretaker or landowner. Around 1998, the road was paved over, and shortly after, a housing development was built on the site. This seems to have ended all activity on Hansel Road, and the ghost light has fallen into obscurity. This encounter of the Green Ghost is from a gentleman. He wrote, I've seen the Green Ghost personally. It was a couple of years before all of the construction took place. A friend, my girlfriend, and I were sitting in the car right past the field by the creek in the wooded part of the road facing Route 413. We were there about a half hour when all of a sudden there was this beam of green light standing about 50 feet to the left of the car. It looked like a car's headlight bouncing off a puddle 
but there was no car or puddle. The green light took the form of a six-foot-tall cylinder. It then proceeded to move onto the road, where it started to move away from us at a walking pace. Just as fast as it appeared, it disappeared, but on a slant from the bottom up. The green ghost was only there for about three to five seconds, too short to register in my mind until it was gone. I then asked if anybody else saw something strange, not telling them what I saw. My girlfriend said, what, that green thing? And I said, yes. So I know I was not the only one to see it. Our friend, by the way, did not see anything. She was in the driver's seat. And then the writer goes on to say, I swear everything above is true and correct. This was dated of August in August of 1999. This is another case of a reported sighting of the green ghosts. A close friend of mine visited the road with some of her friends one night and saw the same light working its way through the woods towards their pickup. My friend tells me that the light was growing larger and larger, and when it reached the road, it hovered for a few seconds, then proceeded to drop straight down and splatter on the road, resembling the same effect as a drop of water turning into a puddle. This was all scary enough until the light came back up to the surface of the road closer to the truck and started rolling towards them. My friend convinced the driver to get a move on and the ball of green light rolled off into the woods. I've heard the same story from a number of people who've witnessed this thing and according to everyone I've talked to, they were skeptics until it happened to them. That's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating, and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories and friends be prepared to be petrified.